Okay, Psalm 70. Psalm 70. And uh, <laughs> I will um, I'll read this from the New American Standard Version first. Uh, but here are the words. It says, For the choir director, a psalm of David for a memorial. O God, hasten to deliver me. O Lord, hasten to my help. Let those be ashamed and humiliated who seek my life. Let those be turned back and dishonored who delight in my hurt. Let those be turned back because of their shame who say, Aha, aha. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But I am afflicted and needed, needy. Hasten to my help, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. A lot of ways to look at this psalm. One of the ways I looked at it is to say, what does it say about uh, his enemies? What does it say about those who seek God? And more importantly, what does it say about himself and about God? What does it say about God? I, I want to read it again in the ESV. And I just just hit me with some of your original impressions from Psalm 70. Psalm 70, for the, to the choir master of David, for the memorial offering, make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those turn back because of their shame who say, Aha, aha. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. Now, what are some initial impressions of Psalm 70? It feels imprecatory, but not. Okay, okay. You've got the imprecatory elements as he discusses his enemies in verses 2 and 3. But, but uh, it is... Um, Maybe stated a little bit milder. I don't know. Uh, but there's a little bit of that. Christy? He sounds confident that God will help him. Okay. He's confident of God's help. Confident of God's help. We'll come back to that too. Just we'll come back to all these things in looking at the text. But anything there's else? Repeated requests for urgency. Hasten, hasten. Yes. The urgency is really striking the urgency. If you look in the, now I'm looking at the New American Standard right now. You notice that it says, Oh God, hasten to deliver me. But the word hasten is in italics indicating what? Yeah, it's not represented in the original. And the verb hasten in the first line actually comes from the verb hasten in the second line where it is present. Now, what is unique about that is sometimes you have two verses together or two statements together and only one of them has a verb. It's usually the first. 
And the second line borrows that verb here. The verb in the first line, oh God, hasten to deliver. That verb hasten is really added from the second line. I, I hope I express that clearly. But verses, one of the things that strike me, verses 1 and 5 focus on a plea to God and, and particularly the urgency of the plea to God is striking. Then he describes in verses 2 and 3 of those who are his enemies. And he describes in verse 4 those who seek God. Uh, maybe we can call them friends. That's not exactly how they're referred to here. But here are enemies and friends. We'll see some contrast between them in just a moment. Now, one of the things you probably saw or reminded of, if you look at your footnotes carefully or if you look at any commentary, that Psalm 70, Psalm 70 is very similar to Psalm 40, Verses 13 through 17. Psalm 40, verses 13 through 17. The same basic word. So much so that if there is any difference between the wording, it is an appropriate thing to call attention to it. I don't know that we will every time tonight, but if there's any difference in the wording, it's appropriate to call attention to it because it, it helps us to understand these two. Now, this is where what is called Bible scholarship deservedly gets a bad name. Some good commentaries will spend a lot of time asking which of these two was written first. And you will find equally dogmatic people that Psalm 70 was written first and then some that says Psalm 40 was written first. We can't ever know. And some of them are honest enough after they've made their big point to say, well, we can't know. And I don't know that it makes any difference, does it? But, but it just, what we see, both of them have a place in Scripture. Now, what was your statement just a second ago, Christy? Because it was tied to this, but I can't even remember right now what it was. Because I think I'm going to incorporate this when I'm talking about Psalm 40. What did you say? He's confident that God would deliver him. Okay, he's confident God would deliver him. Here, there, there's a lot of emphasis on the urgency of the plea. But, but, but this would be characterized as an individual lament. How have we been accustomed to seeing individual laments end? How do individual laments usually end? Praise, God. Praise or thanksgiving at the end, don't they? This one doesn't have this. What is very interesting about Psalm 40 is Psalm 40 has the statement of praise and thanksgiving first. So here he is thanking God for deliverance. He thanks God for deliverance and then he relates the crisis. But what we have here in Psalm 70 is an emphasis on the crisis and not an emphasis on the deliverance. But, but there does seem to be a confidence in God, a trust in God that God is going to deliver, but not an explicit statement of praise or thanksgiving at the end. 
Now, of course, it always does good, too, to look at these psalms in place. Psalm, Psalm 69, Psalm 71 are both psalms of individual lament where a person is pouring out his heart to God in the midst of his problems. But these psalms of individual lament do end in praise and thanksgiving different from what we have in Psalm in Psalm 70. Now, one of the things that is also valuable, I may do a little of this as we go through the text, but there are all kinds of vocabulary connections between Psalm 70 and Psalm 69 and Psalm 71. I'm not going to just list all of them, but um, if... Um, we may, in the process of looking at this psalm, call attention to some of those. Anything else right here at the beginning before we look at the text itself? Don't, don't some connect 70 and 71 as, as uh, one psalm? Is yes, that, that, that is correct. And thank you for saying that. I probably should have said that. That Some do. But one of the reasons is because you look at Psalm 71 and it does not have a heading. And that is very rare in this section. But interestingly, in the Greek translation, it does have a heading. But because there is no heading to Psalm 71, and there are several vocabulary connections, and uh, as a couple of writers says, they are combined in some ancient manuscripts in such a way as it seems like that, that, that uh, some of them may have viewed those as one psalm. So, so that is true. But again, I, I don't know... Uh, even if someone were to take that view, how is that to alter the the, the psalm itself? I'm, I'm not saying that to criticize the comment. I'm saying that more to say, don't let your inability to figure that out affect your interpretation. I have uh, heard people ask before, should we read each of the minor prophets as one? Or should we look at all 12 minor prophets as one book? I can see the value of both, but I don't know how if you viewed it all as one book, that's going to affect so much your interpretation of any specific part. Mary? Um, this header for the memorial offering, is that, um, do you know the background on that? Is that like what David might have made an offering in response to God's deliverance or is that okay. a regular type of memorial offering? That, that's a good question. He says in the heading for the choir director, it's identified with David as most of the Psalms in book 1 and 2 are, a Psalm of David, and says for a memorial. Now this word for memorial here is the word in Hebrew, it's from the root word that generally means remember. Now, one of the things that's done with that is very interesting, Mary, uh, and I'm glad I ran across this in a commentary today because of your question, uh, but some connect this particular word for memory here uh, that, that with the sacrifice 
the grain offering in Leviticus 2. Because in Leviticus 2 verse 2, that is said to be offered up as a memorial portion on the altar. Leviticus 2 verse 2 uses this kind of language of the grain offering. Now, you remember that there was even a grain sin offering in Leviticus 5 that was offered. And some have suggested that, uh, let me find the exact statement. Okay, this uh, is from the word remember. The, the, the connection with the grain offering has led some to describe this as a psalm of the poor. That, that in a sense, this would be the offering that they, they would bring their offering uh, of grain to God because they didn't have meat to eat. And this psalm was used uh, in connection with that. Now again, that's it's seeing how it's used in worship. is There's speculation involved in that. I don't want you to take that as gospel truth. But, but, but that does tie, some have given that explanation of, the, of that word. Is, is there any kind of, um, maybe the wrong word, but chiastic structure to this in that, uh, like Christie's observation, uh, the word deliver mm-hmm. is used in verse 1 and in verse 5 yes. to kind of draw this from beginning to end about God being, I need him to deliver me and he is going to deliver me. So does it make the poem... Um, in a certain sense, I, I think it does. Like in verse 1, you have the plea for deliverance. Then you have uh, the 2 and 3, the description of the enemies, and the description in verse 4 of those who seek God. And then once again, you come back in verse 5, incorporating many of the same words, uh, a plea for deliverance. So, there is some type of structure to that, that a type of a chiasm or inverted parallelism or, uh, that, that is present. Okay, let's just look at verse 1. He says, Oh God, and we've already talked about that verb hasten, hasten to deliver. Oh Lord, hasten to my help. Um, this is, there's an urgency involved here. And there is a recognition that deliverance can come from God. God is his deliverer. God is his help. God is the one who must hold him up. Oh God, hasten to deliver me. Oh Lord, hasten to my help. Let those be ashamed and humiliated who seek my life. Let those be turned back and dishonored who delight in my hurt. Let those be turned back because of their shame who say, aha, aha. Now, in describing these enemies who are here in verses 2 and 3, how are these enemies described? The enemies are described in verse 2 as ones who seek my life. 
they seek my life. And I remember one teacher that I used to have in school would, would always kind of make fun of that expression. When they seek his life, they are seeking his death, really. They're seeking to take his life. But one who seek my life, then um, they are they delight in my hurt. And then in verse 3, the text says, they say, aha, aha. Now, obviously, if it is bad to seek someone's life or death, to delight in their hurt, then that is parallel here to saying, aha, aha. So if you wonder what that means, they, they think they've called him, they think they've got something against him, and they think now that uh, he, is, uh, he is theirs and he is in their hand. So these are the things, these are the ways the enemies are described in what they do. This is the judgment that he prays on them. In verse 2, let them be ashamed and humiliated. Let them be ashamed and humiliated. Also, the text says, uh, let those be turned back and dishonored. Turn back and dishonored. And then in verse 3, the text says, let those be turned back because of shame. I believe the word turn back are two different words uh, in this text. But here is a description of their attitude toward him and here a description of what he prays for them. And, and that is an imprecatory statement. You know, it, when we think of Psalm 70, it doesn't stand out first that this is an imprecatory psalm. It's just a psalm of individual lament. But it's so typical in these psalms where they're pouring out their problems and people are hounding them and mistreating them to turn that over to God and to beg God to deal with it. And part of that is a recognition that he's too weak to deal with it. That God has to deal with it. That deliverance comes anyway. That it's going to come from, from God. I have down here uh, in my notes, uh, I think it's like 12 to 14 times the word aha is used in Scripture. Now, boy, that sounds like a sermon waiting to happen, doesn't it? Uh, that every time it's used in Scripture, it is a negative statement about someone like this delighting that they have caught someone in some kind of crime or some kind of sin. Now, what else do you see in those verses that we ought to say more about uh, what else should we have expounded upon right there? How many of those ahas are in Psalms? Because I know, I mean, it's in 
Okay, it's in the 40th Psalm. I remember it. At least one other time. It's it's used in Psalm 35. I have down three times. It's used in Job 39, then Psalm 35, 40, and 70. Uh, and uh, then it's used in Isaiah 44 and three times in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 25, 26, and 36. So, um, but those, yes, you do remember correctly, David, that it has been mentioned uh, besides Psalm 40 here. There are some similarities between Psalm 35 and Psalm 70 as well. But there's a great contrast between verse 2 and 3 and verse 4. There's a great contrast between the enemies and here I called them friends or the enemies and those who seek God. And to me, I don't want to get more wrapped up in details than I should, but at the same time, I think the type of things that I'm about to do helps me get a handle on the psalm itself. For example... In, in verse 2, it is the enemies here in verse 2 who seek my life. But in contrast to that, here in 70 and verse 4 are those who seek you. Those who seek you. Now, by the way, this is a point of comparison between Psalm 70 and Psalm 69. Because Psalm 69, verse verse 6 and verse 32, both spoke of those who seek you, who seek God. But a contrast between those who seek my life and those who seek God. Then there is a contrast in 70 verse 2 between those who delight in my hurt and in verse 4 to those who love your salvation. And then there's a contrast between the wicked and the righteous, between his enemies and between those who were his friends in the fact that one say, aha, and the other say, let God be magnified. Okay. The reason I was looking, now let me ask you a question, and I'm asking you not to look at Psalm 40. But just think. Why, why might I pause there? Uh, I'm pausing because of God's name. Why would Psalm 40, what might it have right there? The Lord. The Lord. The Lord. And why, remember? Because Psalms 42 through 83 are, are emphasized more the term Elohim for God and not as much Yahweh 
for Lord in all capitals. Now, is that absolute? No. You even look down at this text. In verse... In verse 5, I am afflicted and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. What do you notice about that term Lord? It's all capitals. So that is the term Yahweh. That is not absolute. But there is a difference in emphasis. There's a difference in emphasis. The word Lord is not emphasized as strongly in Psalms 42 through 83. Uh, it's the term Elohim which is used more frequently. The best illustration of that, if you want to, to compare it, is to compare Psalm 14 with Psalm 53. Psalm 53, Psalm 14 uses the term Yahweh seven times. Psalm 53 uses one of the terms four times and the other time three times. Uh, so again, doesn't eliminate the term Yahweh, but doesn't emphasize it as strongly. But back to this contrast. This helps me to get a handle on the difference in those groups. I hope it does you. One is seeking David's life. They are his enemies who are consumed with destroying him. What should we be consumed with? What should we be seeking? We should be seeking Him. Some have nothing better to do than to rejoice or to delight in the demise of others. To rejoice in their demise. It is interesting to me, and I I use Tiger Woods as an illustration of that. You know, he was pushed, he was promoted, he was made a hero. And some were so excited to tell the stories of all he did a few years ago when he fell. Now, I'm not saying he is a character worthy of our emulation, but I am saying I think people rejoice sometimes in the failure of prominent people because we feel good about ourselves. And after all, what more is there to life than feeling good about ourselves? You know my sarcasm in that. But some delight in others hurt. But some love God's salvation. They love God's salvation. And then you can tell people by what they say. And some are saying, aha, we got you. We're Some are saying, let the Lord be magnified. They're giving God all credit and all praise. Look back at Psalm 69 verse 30. Psalm 69 verse 30. I will praise the name of God with song and magnify Him with thanksgiving. Another point of connection of correspondence between Psalm 69 and Psalm 70. God, God's name be magnified. And you remember that we talked about in Psalm 69, God's salvation is described from first to last. From verse 1, save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. Verse 35 of Psalm 69, for God will save Zion. And here, verse 4 speaks of your salvation.
But, how does David speak of himself in this psalm? Now, there's really not a whole lot about himself. There's some things implied about his enemies. But, but when he speaks of himself, he says, I am afflicted and needy. I am afflicted and needy. Also look back at 69 verse 33. In 69 verse 33, the text says, For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise those who are his prisoners. Um, Verse 32 said, The humble have seen it and are glad. But I wanted to mention a couple of passages a couple of passages where these terms poor and needy or afflicted and needy it is in the King James or the, the New American Standard afflicted and needy sometimes those phrases are translated poor and needy but a few verses that use these phrases together um, one passage is Deuteronomy 15 in verse 11. What's talked about in Deuteronomy 15? You remember what's talked about? The poor being taken care of in the land. Okay, every seventh year they were released from debts, they were forgiven. And in Deuteronomy 15 11, if someone is there, they can go ahead and read that, uh, how it's stated. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, You shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy, and poor in your land. Okay, freely open your hand to the needy and the poor in your land. Thank you, Gary. Look at 24 14. 24 14. You shall not oppress a hired man who is poor and needy whether he is one of your countrymen or one of your aliens who is in your land, uh, in your towns. So these words, I believe these are the same Hebrew words in each of these instances. Deuteronomy 15.11, Deuteronomy 24.14, and also, and I'm not saying these are the only times the words are used together, Proverbs 31, verse 20. Now, can anybody, any soul in here, tell me what's discussed? In Proverbs 31. Okay, it's a virtuous woman, of course, as you know. Uh, She holds out her hands and she makes clothing, and I'm paraphrasing, for the poor and needy. But, But one writer made this statement. These words together, when they are used together, indicate the lowest in society, usually in economic terms. Now, I don't think necessarily Psalm 70 verse 5 is using the term poor and needy or afflicted and needy in economic terms. But it uses these terms anyway. It uses these terms And I think the point is he recognizes that he does not have within himself 
the resources to meet his need and he is totally dependent upon God. In that way, may we all be poor and needy. May we recognize our inability to answer, deal with our own problems, to deal with our own moments of crisis, and to see our complete need for Him. I am afflicted and needy. Really, in a sense, the only statement that he makes about himself in the psalm. And it's to emphasize his helplessness, his weakness, and his dependence upon God. Because he is so helpless and weak, what can he do? Where can he turn except to the Lord? And he says in verse 5, Hasten to me, O God. Just as we saw this word in verse 1. Hasten to me. You are my help and my deliverer. Now, I want you to notice a slight difference between verse 5 and verse 1. Verse 5, he says, you are my help and you are my deliverer. And in verse 1, he is begging God to hasten to his help and to hasten to deliver him. He's begging God to be for him what he knows he already is. His help, his deliverer, and he adds, O Lord, do not delay. Do not delay. Do not hesitate. The sense of urgency, the fact that he ends the words with those words, ends the psalm with those words, do not delay, shows us the sense of urgency that underlines this psalm. And, and as we pointed out earlier, it does not end on a note of praise. I wanted to read to you something that I thought was particularly good right here. Hey, Tommy. Yes. Just one interruption. Yes. The, um, we were looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and the Septuagint actually uses that word poor in spirit, and it's the same word as is here in uh, Okay. Okay, in, so, in Matthew 5, 3? Uh, Matthew 5, yeah, 3. Okay, okay, well, good. Well, good, yes. And, so it, poor, it does connect you with that poor, not in economic terms. Yes, yes. Uh, obviously. Exactly. You know, uh, poverty of spirit. I think, um, I'm thinking that, that term is even used... No, it's not poor in spirit. It's just brokenhearted in Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. But yes, thank you for that reference to Matthew 5, 3, Tony. But, but one writer said this. He said, this prayer ends as it began with a plea for God to hurry up and come to his aid. The ending is unusual because most of these psalms end with a, with a statement of praise or a statement of thanksgiving. But this double appeal for speedy action is a distinctive feature um, of Psalm 70 over against uh, Psalm, psalm um, 40. But here... In this prayer, there is no resolution. 
And he says, for sometimes real life is exactly that way. We cry for answers. We cry out for God to hurry. And all we hear is silence. Deafening silence. Sometimes the wait seems forever. And we can feel as if God has gone away. Psalm 40 itself may be an answer to us that God hasn't gone away. Because as we stated, the thanksgiving and praise are stated first in that. I know none of us like to be in that situation. We pour out our heart to God in the midst of a crisis and it seems like there is complete silence in the sense that we can see nothing changing in our circumstance. But just like Psalm 69 ended on a note of praise, Psalm 71 ends on a note of praise. Just as the book of Psalms will end with Psalms of praise. That is a statement to us to continue to hold on, to continue to trust, and to wait for God to answer. I like these statements that one writer said. Uh, he said he said four points he got from this. Prayer is yelling to God for help. And he says, sometimes our sentiments do not have to be profound in order to pray. But, three, our prayers should not be self-centered. You notice even in this prayer, he is praying that others might see his deliverance and might rejoice in God and rejoice in his salvation. That others might see in his life that God does rescue those who trust him. And that they might be encouraged to keep trusting in Him in their lives. And he said too, and this was the best point, it is absolutely necessary for us to recognize and to admit our utter poverty before God. That we are beggars before Him who deserve nothing. And he has given us everything good that we have. What else do you all see, John or, or Gary? Uh, 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 Psalm 70, uh, Psalm 51, verse 17. Yes. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. I heard Tom Holly one time teaching on that psalm. Yeah. And he made the statement, he said, God can't turn his head away from that kind of person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Psalm, Psalm um, 51, 16, 17, powerful verses. It reminded me a lot of Psalm 34, 18 that we read earlier as well. I was just thinking on what you just said there. A lot of times God, when we're asking, sending petitions his way, he waits to the very last minute a lot of times to answer our prayer or to help us mm-hmm. like almost like testing our faith to see if we are going to keep, keep patiently waiting and asking and sometimes he calms the storm and other times he helps us see 
see us through, through see us through the storm. Yeah. But I know a lot of times. Yeah. I just had a situation here in my life where I was panicking because uh, at a Tuesday it started Friday night, and I hadn't got my insurance card from my new employment yet. And I was like, I really need to get to the dentist, but I really need that insurance at the same time. And I got the card today. <coughs> and I was, I was panicking yeah. over, over the weekend. <laughs> well, it's reason to panic maybe on the weekend. Uh, if it's um, Christmas weekend or New Year's Eve weekend, anyway, you get a toothache. Because there's not going to be a lot of people working, you know, so <laughs> you're going to have to bury it a while. But you think about maybe what God did with Gideon is a paradigm for all of us. Where God says you got too many, even though his enemy outnumbered him four to one, you got too many. So tell everybody that's afraid, go home. He tells everybody that's afraid, go home. He's now outnumbered 13 to 1. God says, there's still too many. Go down to the water and see how they drink. And then 300 he takes and he says, with these I will deliver Israel. Israel's outnumbered and I'm taking um, a, a number from Judges 8 as far as how many of the uh, Midianites there were. But, but the enemy outnumbers them now better than 450 to 1. And God says, with these, I will deliver you. Amen. And yet still afterwards, they come to Gideon and says, be king over us. You've delivered us. They still don't seem to get the message. But God sometimes waits till we've exhausted all human possibilities that we might see He is the source of our blessing. Look at how long Abraham waited for a son. Isaac waited 20 years for a son. Look at all those things. And God is, is showing us continually that, that, that we have to be broken and totally dependent upon Him. May we, may we not have to learn that lesson the hard way, though I'm sure all of us at times have. And sometimes, like Paul, God says, my grace is sufficient. Yes, you're right. That's right. Sometimes our circumstances do not change. My grace is sufficient. I, I was going to sing passages that... Gary just mentioned the whole Second Corinthian letter really talks about Christian suffering, Paul suffering, Jesus suffering, yeah. and the comfort that God brings, and the the fact that suffering really allows us to see that yeah. and helps us to grow into the people God wants us to be. So uh, the whole the, the there is a human need for suffering to get us to the place where God can use us to dependence upon him and that we see we truly see how we are afflicted and we are needy I, I heard a woman one time on the radio who was a quadriplegic said she was talking about you know people were asking her about the benefits and the blessings of um, of her situation and she talked freely about both but she said, it's easy for me to learn dependence on God. I cannot get out of my bed without someone to come pick me up. And easier for us to say than to live. May God bless those people in those circumstances. Tommy? Yes? Are, are you adamant that the statement in verse 5, you are my help and my deliverer, is not a statement of praise? Um, well, I can understand what you're saying. Um, I don't. I don't want to 
tear up all my notes. So no, I, 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 I don't agree with you. <laughs> but, no, I, uh, you just comment earlier, you know, yeah, about yeah. some confidence. Yeah. And, and it, it seems to seems to kind of ring through there. I can I can understand what you're saying. He does express strong confidence that God is able to to help him. Um, and uh, so I, I know if if it is a statement of praise, it's a very short one. Okay. <laughs> that's right. So doesn't include uh, the word praise. Yes, it doesn't. Yeah, that's right. That is right. Okay. Uh, I hope we've helped you get some insight into that. And um, how about Jesus and this psalm? How? What are some things? I, I was gonna I was gonna make that point at the very end, verse four, when he talks about uh, let those who love your salvation. I think that that's the the same uh, word that Joshua and Jesus all come from, uh-huh. and I, I it um, evokes in my mind at least the uh, some New Testament imagery that those that really are looking to Jesus ought to be saying, look at the way he magnifies, he allows us to magnify God. Okay, okay. So, so you're taking the, uh, those who love your salvation, say forevermore, God is great, God is magnified. Um, Almost that's, like the epiphany, right? Yes. right? Um, glory to God in the highest. Yeah, Psalm 70 and Jesus. Okay, so verse... Um, verse 4 God is magnified by his salvation through Christ I mean that's it's pretty obvious there isn't it that's true Um, I'm trying to think of the wording in the gospel of John where it speaks of the um, the glory um, that God will be glorified. And sometimes it talks about the cross. It also seems to talk about the resurrection some, but certainly God is glorified through that. And, and I want to tell you, um, I didn't want to mention this earlier in response to uh, David's question. In Mark 15, verse 29, Mark 15, verse 29 when Jesus is on the cross, it says those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha! Huh? It's not exactly the same. Now, I don't know if this is the Greek word used to translate that Hebrew word in, um, in Psalms and Ezekiel. But they say, Ha! Huh? You who are going to destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. So the kind of mockery that this sufferer endures in the book of in Psalm 70, we find Jesus enduring the same thing in Mark 15, 29. They say, aha. And even though they mock and they think we've got him and they think we've we've shown him to be powerless, God is magnified through the death of Jesus. 
What else? What other? Okay, correct. In David, but go ahead. Or okay. Um, sorry. <laughs> so in verse two, it says, "Right, let those be ashamed and humiliated who seek my life," which I think is an interesting contrast to Jesus's response to those who who sought his life. You know, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Okay, okay, that's right. So there's both a comparison to be made between that and and they be ashamed and humiliated. It is obviously different. Is different than Jesus' prayer of intercession for them. In Luke thirteen or Luke twenty three thirty four, but at the same time, while it's a di- it's different, were they ultimately ashamed and humiliated, and defeated through his death? So they were defeated through his death, and there are a lot of passages that demonstrate that. Maybe notably Colossians two fifteen. David, you also had your hand up. And yeah, I was also looking at verse 2, pretty similar to Claire right Okay. There were those who certainly sought Jesus' life. Yes. And who took great delight when he was hurt. Yes, yes. And tying that in. Okay. So a little different. But, uh, yes, but, but emphasizing the phrase, they seek my life. Okay. In my life and delight in my hurt. Yes, and, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so both of those. So what you see in all of these is that Jesus experiences the same treatment of these, the person who is innocent who suffers in Psalm 70. You see that he experiences the same. He also experiences the vindication. We could say he experiences the same suffering. God is magnified through him. But let me change course just a little bit here. Uh, Verse 5, I am afflicted and needy. Hasten to me, O God. So here in verse 5, hasten to me, Oh God, the Septuagint says, Oh God, help me. And that word that is used for help me was the words of the Canaanite woman as she cried out for help because her daughter was sick. It's the same words used of the man whose son was severely demon-possessed in Mark 9 and verse 22. What I'm trying to say is we have said often in this class is that Jesus is both the innocent sufferer of the Psalms and the God who rescues the Psalms. He's both. The, the beauty of these Psalms is they show Jesus both as sufferer and deliverer. And the deity and humanity of Jesus is one of the most profound of all truths. I can remember reading one thing that said there is no difficulty understanding 
the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, or the resurrection uh, of Jesus. If you just understand, well, if, if, if you can understand, excuse me, I guess understand the, there's no problem understanding the resurrection of Jesus if you understand the incarnation of Jesus. You understand that God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. And He is both the sufferer who needs deliverance and the God who people can cry to for help. The lion and the lamb. Yes. Yes, that's right. I, um, I, to your point, um, and, and their point also about verse 2, uh, made me think of Acts chapter 2 um, and how the tables were turned yes. from those people who had brought this um, pain and suffering on the Messiah to the fact that they're cut to the heart. Yes. And uh, so part of what Jesus' mission was, was to break people. Yes. Yes, to bring them to shame and humiliation. They were shamed and humiliated. So the, the people there in Acts 2 who repented were shamed and humiliated. I, even it seems like the rulers to some degree experienced that in chapter 5 when they called Peter and John to trial and said, you are intending to bring this man's blood on us. <laughs> They've done everything they can to destroy him. Said, You're acting like we're responsible for his death. And they're astonished by this. You know, so so they're, they're now even having to distance themselves from that. But So in a sense, they were ashamed and humiliated, but they didn't turn to him for mercy. Those in Acts 2 did. Acts 2, those were broken and those looked to him for forgiveness. Okay. Anything else? I've got one more that okay. kind of goes back to the very first question I asked. But um, I, I think it's interesting the the first verse and the last verse, God and Lord, uh, Elohim and, and Yahweh, but also help and deliverer and Help, you pointed out, is a verb in the first verse. It's a noun in the last yeah. verse. It's the easer mm-hmm. uh, that is our Ebenezer. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the, back to that, uh, that other point, uh, and I, I assume you're talking about the, oh, Lord, do not delay. There is that, that help. Oh. The Septuagint. This this the Septuagint. No, it just says. Um, well, I don't remember where it says. Verse one, help me at the end of verse one. I think that's. Easy. Yeah, but it, 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 help, in verse is five is where it is in the Septuagint. I don't know if anybody can call and, that up fast. Yeah. Anyway, I, I just I, I I thought that was interesting that it's the the verb and then it's the noun mm-hmm. and and again back to Christie's original point and and John's uh, about the praise that he is that rock of help he is that um, absolute that helper yes and uh, of course it's this, the word in verse 5 is the same word used of the wife in um, Genesis 2 verse 18 and Genesis 2 verse 20 and you are my help and my deliverer uh, the wife in that respect with her husband is an imitation uh, of God as God is the ultimate helper and aid. But thank you for being here. John has a song. Yes, I couldn't help but think of Second uh, Corinthians 12. And Jesus, 
answer the call when he prayed three times to be uh, yes. uh, have this storm taken away. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, power perfected in weakness, and before they're through, Paul is saying, uh, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, sometimes when the answer doesn't come, we just have to keep trusting, keep depending. But uh, this is, I, I think, um, David and Deborah's last night with us for a couple of months, and we're going to miss them and, and drive carefully. A lot of snow in Florida. Um, drive, <laughs> drive carefully through that. And uh, But God bless you all. And uh, we'll ask... Gary, would you uh, lead us in prayer as we close? Father, we are so thankful that you are our help and our deliverer. We're so thankful that we can turn to you and you are always present. We're thankful for the wonderful richness <coughs> of your word. Lord, how much it helps us and comforts us and strengthens us and guides us. We're thankful for Tommy and his willingness to share his understanding. We're thankful for the group here and for the uh, opportunities they provide for understanding the scriptures better. We pray that you'll help us to be your faithful servants, that you'll help us always to trust in you and never in ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 John's got us a song, a brief song. Well, only four verses and a tune that we know, so. <laughs> Blessed be the tie, Psalm 70. Go no Yeah.